remember uh, that line, uh, if you're old enough, that line from a, a Labour Party press conference when Tony Blair's spin doctor, Alistair Campbell, said, we don't do God. Remember that famous line, we don't do God. In our uh, day and age, lots of people who want to keep religion out of politics. Lots of people who don't do God. Maybe because they think religion's sort of unscientific, or maybe that God just doesn't make a difference, or that it gets in the way, causes problems. Um, but 2,700 years ago in Jerusalem, it would be shocking to hear words like that in the halls of government. The people descended from Abraham according to the promises of God. The people led out of Egypt by Moses according to the promises of God. The people ruled over by kings, one of whom God had promised would reign forever and ever. Out of all the nations of the world, that is a nation that did do God, right? That is a nation that knew that God had all the power and God could be trusted. And yet time and again, we see Israel's leaders failing to put God front and center, failing to give him the supreme place in the nation, failing to trust him. And one such leader was King Ahaz in this passage. He was God's anointed king. But when push came to shove, when the chips were down, it turns out he didn't do God. And the result was catastrophic. This is, as I mentioned, the second sermon in this three-part series looking at the prophecies of the coming Messiah in Isaiah. And today, as we hear Ahaz's story and Isaiah's prophecy of a child called Emmanuel, it will warn us of the dangers of trusting our lives with anyone but God and reassure us that whatever we face, God is with us. Well, let me uh, set the scene. Ahaz, King Ahaz, is standing in a field outside Jerusalem. Through this field runs Jerusalem's water supply. If this supply of water ever gets cut off, Jerusalem will fall in days. Why is Ahaz there? Because he's scared stiff. He's just received news of a coming invasion. And this is happening in the year 734 BC. By this point, the nation of Israel had split in two. Ahaz was the king of southern Israel, known as Judah. And Judah was about half the size of Wales. And it was about to be invaded by the armies of northern Israel, sometimes called Ephraim, and their allies from Syria. And they were going to invade because Ahaz refused to send his armies to help northern Israel and Syria defend themselves against a far more powerful foe, the king of Assyria to the, to the east, a man called Tiglath-Pileser III. See, Ahaz knew that even the armies of Judah, Israel, and Syria combined stood no chance against the Assyrians. They were a superpower, a great empire. If you go to the British Museum in London, 
uh, one of my favorite places, you can see carvings taken from inside Assyrian palaces showing their brutal military victories. Ahaz wouldn't ally himself to Israel and Syria, so their plan is to invade Judah, depose Ahaz, set up a puppet king in his place who will send what's left of Judah's armies to the defense of their nations. And so now Ahaz is panicking. One way or another, Judah looks like it's going to get conquered, whether it's by Israel and Syria, or the might of Assyria, or even by nations to the south looking to capitalize on Judah's weakness. So what's he going to do? What would you do if you were in charge of Judean foreign policy? If you were one of Ahaz's advisors, what would you do as you looked out from the windows of the palace and saw the children playing in the street? What would you do to protect the population of your country? Would you feel confident that all you needed to do was pray? Would you feel confident that right at the center of your political strategy should be God? Because Ahaz didn't. And so God sends him the prophet Isaiah, God's spokesman. When Isaiah speaks, God speaks. And so as it were, God comes to Ahaz with words to persuade him that really he does not need to fear. God tells him that he must stand firm in his faith and warns him that if he doesn't, then he will not stand at all. But Ahaz isn't listening. And so at the start of our passage in verse 10, God speaks to Ahaz one last time. Have a look down with me at the top of page 692, verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. God is offering to give Ahaz a sign, any sign, to give him reassurance that he absolutely can trust God. God's offering to move heaven and earth for him, a sign as deep down as death or high up as heaven, anything that will boost his confidence in God. And what does Ahaz say? Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And you know, that is a fatal insult to God. Might sound good, right? It might sound like he's saying, I don't need proof that God can be trusted. I won't put him to the test. That would be fine if he already trusted God. But he doesn't trust God at all. That's the point. So what he's really saying is, I don't want proof that God can be trusted. And the reason he doesn't want evidence that he can trust God is because he's already chosen a different path. He's already come up with a plan, a plan that doesn't involve God. He's going to empty the palace bank account, empty the temple treasury, and send it all to Tiglath-Pileser III, king of Assyria, and ask him to save Judah from Israel and Syria, and then, pretty please, leave Judah well alone. 
In other words, instead of depending on God, he'd rather take the tiger by the tail. And God is not impressed. Look at verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you now try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, you're going to get a sign, like it or not. A sign to show that God is trustworthy and that Ahaz should have trusted him. And what is the sign? Halfway through verse 14, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This is the sign that makes this passage a, a classic Advent reading as we run up to Christmas. This is the Old Testament prophecy that points ahead to the Virgin Mary and her baby Jesus. And yet when you discover where it comes in the Bible, it doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? So what's it all about? Well, first of all, it's actually a judgment. A judgment and a warning. A judgment on Ahaz because he didn't trust God and a warning to us not to make the same mistake. Let's look at this prophecy more closely. Firstly, the boy's name, Emmanuel, one of Felix's, my little boy's middle names, Emmanuel. In Hebrew, it means God is with us. This boy will be a sign to Ahaz that actually God is with his people, that Ahaz could have trusted God, Secondly, God says that before Emmanuel is very old at all, Syria and Israel, the two countries threatening to invade Judah, the two countries Ahaz sold himself to Assyria to avoid, those two countries would be laid waste, meaning God was right. Ahaz did not need to fear them. He could have trusted God. And Syria was in fact flattened just two years later. But because Ahaz didn't trust God, and instead sided with Tiglath-Pilas of the third in Assyria, there's a third stage to this sign, the judgment. After Assyria destroys Syria and Israel, despite all the money Ahaz gave him, Tiglath-Pilas will send his forces against Judah as well. Ahaz took the tiger by the tail, and the tiger will turn round and devour him. Ahaz's government didn't do God, and the result would be catastrophic. And there's a really important detail in this third stage. Look carefully with me at verse 17. Why will Assyria also attack Judah, despite giving them all that money? Verse 17 says, The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Israel broke away from Judah. He, the Lord, will bring the king of Assyria. Ahaz chose to trust the king of Assyria and not the God who is in charge of the king of Assyria. He treated the Lord like he was no better than some local idol. 
of which Ahaz worshipped plenty. But God is the creator of the world. He's Lord over every nation, and all things are under his command. God is being very clear with Ahaz. When Assyria finally comes and attacks you, don't take that as proof that God couldn't save you after all. No, what you need to realize, Ahaz, is that it's God who has caused it. And if you had trusted him, if you had repented of your sins and turned back to him, he need not have caused it. It's a judgment. Ahaz's foreign policy was a disaster. Judah was only safe in the hands of God and God alone. Ahaz should have trusted him. And we can make the same mistake. We can fail to really trust God when he's the only one who can help us. That doesn't mean the only solution to all our problems is praying, not at all. Thank God for medicine, for example. Thank God for friends. Thank God for insurance. Thank God for whatever help is out there. Ahaz's mistake was that he resorted not to help, but to sin. An alliance with Assyria wasn't just politics. It was a denial of God's promises, a denial of God's power, a denial of God's right to be worshipped as supreme. In all our troubles, first and foremost, this is the point, first and foremost, we must trust God. That means praying to him ought to be the first thing we do. Believing he can help ought to be normal for us. Thanking him for his help should be an automatic habit. But so often I know in my life, if I'm not thinking straight, you know, God just comes last or I forget him or when things go right, I thank everyone else and forget to thank God. I, I sort of miss the fact that what's happened is answered prayer. But like God was in control of Assyria, he's in control of all things. If a surgeon heals you, thank God. If you get hold of some money you weren't expecting, thank God. Israel's job in the world was to display the light of the glory of God to the surrounding nations. The other nations were supposed to look at Israel and see what they were missing. But instead of boasting about having the creator of the world on their side, Ahaz told the king of Assyria that if he couldn't help him, no one could. It's an embarrassment. And in the same way, when we trust God and do depend on him, then people can look at our lives and see the glory of God on display. But if we call ourselves Christians and then act like we have no confidence in God, what sort of message does that send? And if we really have no confidence in God, then like Ahaz, we're heading for disaster because the people God saves are the people who trust him. That's the warning in today's passage. Trusting anyone but God leads to disaster. But there's also reassurance because this sign is also proof that for those who do trust God, God is with us. Although trusting God isn't always easy to do. Like Ahaz, uh, sometimes the problems look so big from our point of view that it's hard to believe God really can help us. And God knows it can be hard. That's why God offered Ahaz any sign at all that would persuade him. And even though Ahaz refused, God gave a sign anyway. A sign that would prove Ahaz got it wrong. A boy 
born of a virgin and given the name Emmanuel. And one of the slight difficulties with this passage um, is that no one's sure who this child actually was or who his mother was. There's lots of um, sort of theories, but there's no record in the Bible of a virgin giving birth in the time frame that Isaiah specifies. Nevertheless, we do know of a child born of a virgin centuries later who is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. In Matthew chapter 1, we read the account of Mary who gave birth to Jesus before she was married to Joseph. And then Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But Jesus wasn't Emmanuel by name. He was Emmanuel by nature. Jesus, truly human and truly divine. His divinity is eternal. But when Mary conceived, a human nature was added to his divine nature so that the one divine person who came as that first, that tiny embryo, was both God and human. When Mary held baby Jesus in her arms, she was holding her maker. Jesus was literally God with us. God come to be among us as the ultimate sign that God really can be trusted. As the ultimate sign that whatever our troubles, Ahaz, Judah, the church, and all people everywhere should trust in God and all his promises. But Jesus didn't come primarily to end all our troubles there and then. Rather, he came to be the reason that trusting God actually works. God told Ahaz he could ask for a sign as deep or as high as you can go. And God gave him Jesus, who descended to the depths of the dead and ascended to the heights of God's throne in heaven. In Jesus, God demonstrated that he was willing to take upon himself the punishment for our sins and win on our behalf the ultimate victory over death and hell. If you feel like you need a sign to help you trust God, Jesus is the ultimate sign. What more could he do to show that he is for us, that he loves us, and that he has the power to save? And so when someone is diagnosed with a terminal illness, or goes bankrupt, or some other disaster strikes, we shouldn't be asking, doesn't God care? As if whether he's trustworthy depends on having a trouble-free life. The proof that God cares, the proof that he loves us and will save us, is Jesus. Whatever troubles you face, whether they're political or personal, you can trust God. Look to Jesus and remind yourself that God is for you. God does love you. God can and will save you. Jesus died so that God can be with you. There is no human solution that gives better results than God. 
and any human solution that involves putting your faith in something else instead of God will sooner or later prove disastrous. God told Ahaz he would give him a sign to prove he should have trusted him, and the sign he gave was Jesus. So when your confidence in God is failing, when your troubles seem too big, when God doesn't seem to be on your side, look at Jesus, remember the cross, see him waiting to welcome you into heaven, and ask yourself, is there a better hope or a more certain salvation? Well, we've had a warning. Trusting anyone or anything other than God leads to disaster, and there's reassurance. God loves us, and he will save us. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you took human nature upon yourself, came into the world as a tiny embryo, grew up to be a man who died and rose again for us to demonstrate that you can be trusted, that you can save, that all the power is yours, that death and hell and the future are in your hands, and that with you we are loved and we are safe. Renew our trust in you. And as later on we come to your table to receive the bread and the wine, may we in our hearts receive you and feed on you by faith. Amen.